Abolition. When uh, Lincoln signed that Emancipation Proclamation, there was a lot of debate that happened at that point. Some of the previous slave owners saw that maybe this could still be a labor force. Maybe they'll still work for us. However, there was a grouping of slave owners who said, get rid of them, send them back to Africa. After slavery, there was a real significant shift in terms of building our own families. We saw that we were moving somewhere. We were were moving forward. But the largest grouping, I think, was those who said, let's just make it so that they cannot reproduce. As we talk about the role uh, of some of these historical organizations uh, who were really put together for the purpose of the sterilization uh, and stopping reproduction of African American peoples in this nation, the reality is that We have to put it in historical context. They set out to sterilize us. There's something that's called eugenics, and it involved people determining that we were feeble-minded people, and so they need to sterilize us so that we won't carry on these, these bad genes and infect the gene pool. And these people who were supporters of the eugenics movement were also the same ones who in that day and age were opposed to public education and were opposed to the creation of public hospitals. And um, that was a hard period in our lives because many of the women didn't know why they couldn't have children. They couldn't have them because the state deemed them a risk because they put mental, mental health tags on them a risk because they wanted to control the birth rate in our community. And people think this is far-fetched. The discrimination grew with the eugenics. So, blacks black were not, were not deemed, deemed desirable. desirable.
Abolition. You just heard an excerpt from the What Mama Didn't Say documentary about the origins of eugenics in America, followed by Kedron Bryant, I Just Want to Live. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, brother. As always, I am right here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, broadcasting live right with you. Awesome. Awesome. So last week we celebrated a victory for the abolitionist movement. In 2222, Oregon joins Tennessee as the first two states to put ending slavery on the ballot since our 2020 wins in Nebraska and Utah. Ending slavery in Oregon, but also the white utopia. We were joined by the Director of Legislative Strategy for Oregonians Against Slavery and Involuntary Servitude, more commonly known as OASIS, and lead organizer in the Oregon abolitionist efforts, Jordan Scott, the abolitionist Shiro, Super Shiro. So before we start, Max, tell us about your week. Well, there's not a whole lot to say this week, man. We've been mainly working on getting our budget together for state operations for the Abolish Slavery National Network and also preparing for our anniversary on August 28th. Uh, trying to get all of that together. We want it to be a really, really big and important day. Uh, the ASNN has been saying that we, uh, the, the leadership team, should be more prominent because, you know, we're not really out there like that. We usually push these issues, and you don't know who did it. Like, we read books about people going, you know, they abolished slavery in Colorado and Nebraska and Utah, but they never say any names. You know what I mean? Right, So right. We're going to try to make ourselves a little bit more prominent. And, and in doing so, that was why I started last week by playing one of the songs off our tracks, off our album. And this week, I'm going to share another one off our album. Well, uh, that's we got, pretty good, Max. Some, I mean, it's, it's – I'm sorry. I got, thought you were done. Go ahead, brother. We got some superstars on the team for sure, man. I just wanted to say that. Absolutely. And – What's, what makes the team so great is no one's out there clout chasing. So that's probably why no one's just so fast to putting their name out there. It's more about, hey, let's get this done. Let's get, uh, let's get slavery abolished across the country. And that's what right. really matters. That's, that's what that's really what matters. And it's just a great team formed around that. Yep. That's what really matters right there. We are here to end slavery, and <laughs> that's it. You know, um, I know I'm not looking to put this on as part of my resume. I, I just want to get it done because I got a lot of grandchildren, and they got to grow up in this world. And I don't want them to grow up in a world where slavery is legal, where genocide is happening, and oppression is an everyday thing, and it has become so normalized that you're like fish in water when somebody's telling you you're wet. You're like, where? How am I wet? <laughs> you don't even see it. Right. You know what I mean? It's in your face right. every day, and you don't even see it. 
Uh, so, yeah, I, I, that's what I'm all about for this. I, I want my people to be free, not just now, but for, from now on. That's what it's all about, because, as we always say, no one's free until everyone's free. Right. As my man. Fannie, Lou, Fannie Lou Hamer said. <laughs> yep, Fannie Lou Hamer. My man, uh, Keandre, uh Bryant, he really did a good job with that. Y'all remember he went viral just by singing it a cappella. And then a bunch of people got impressed with it. And eventually that was the finished product right there um, with by Keith Ron Bryant. I just want to live. So shout out to that young brother uh, making his moves. Absolutely. Uh, Keedron Bryant. Keedron Bryant. That's right. Yeah. Remember him. And the clip uh, excerpt from what Mama Didn't Say documentary, uh, that was pretty powerful as well. Because, you know, this whole undertaking that we're on right now, here talking about how not only are we going to give you the definition of genocide, but show you how the United States is responsible for in the past and the present. And that's not something everybody takes on. So we've really been digging in the crates to get all the information, put it together right so we can be right and correct for you. Um, You know, it's it's so much deeper than we could possibly do in this one two-hour show. So we're going to focus on the diasporas, uh, Native American and African American histories of genocide here, <clears throat> past and present. Because if we went into genocide in general, we'd probably never get to our own people because <laughs> it's, you know, right. everybody else seems to be more important. I was watching one video where they was talking about uh, genocides. They say the greatest genocide in human history was uh, the Holocaust, uh, the Jewish Holocaust. And I was thinking, like, right. what? Like, huh? Native Americans? Like, like, that wasn't a genocide? Slavery? The transatlantic slave trade? That wasn't a genocide? Um, so it just blew my mind that they don't even consider those things genocide. And that made me do a little bit more research, which is why I got a statement from Anne Rand today that we'll be playing, <clears throat> and how she supported the genocide of Native Americans. You, you'll hear her in her own evil voice uh, mm. rationalize why Native Americans should have been wiped out and their the, lands taken. The objectivists. Her thing was right. always objectivism. Mm-hmm. And I also have another clip that we're probably going to play in a couple of minutes here, which is um, where uh, David Starkey, Starkey is a lawyer out in the UK, and he uh, breaks down what is genocide in international law. And he also kind of sets it up with the connection of slavery and Black Lives Matter. Because, you know, I just mentioned that the transatlantic slave trade and slavery, uh, global slavery, was genocide as well. But because um, of people think of genocide, they think that it's meant to wipe an entire people out, right? But that's not how genocide works. Right. Genocide is an internationally recognized crime where acts are committed with the intent to destroy in whole mm-hmm. or in part. See, the in part part, right? In right. whole or in part, a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. And they've got several categories of that. You've got killing members of the group. Not killing all, killing members of the group. Causing serious right. bodily or mental harm to members of the group. Deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. Imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group, and there's a another series of 
violent crimes that don't fall under specific definition of genocide. And they include things like uh, crimes against humanity, like war crimes, ethnic cleansing, and mass killing. But as I was naming those, I'm sure our listeners were like, yep, that's happening. Yep, that's happening. That happened right there. Absolutely. You know, I'm thinking about one link that I came across was regarding uh, We Charge Genocide, and this was the 1951 Black Lives Matter campaign, and much of what you just stated was right within that campaign. It was actually a petition that they sent to the United Nations signed by 300 some or 3,000. I don't have the exact number in front of me. I'll come across it in a second. But they tracked between June 6, 1945 and June 9, 1951, 152 incidents that uh, were offered as evidence in support of the claim. It was called, it was the killings of 152 unarmed black men and women by police and by lynch mobs that took place during that six-year span. And we actually have an interactive map where they can go and just get the details. And, I mean, it's just grueling details. It was a 200-page petition. And it was produced by William Patterson and the Civil Rights Congress. They charged that under the legal rubric laid out by the United Nations, the United States, which failed to enforce its own constitution, must punish under international law forced genocidal acts against African-Americans. And the uh, person who was spearheading this, William Patterson, he emphasized the relationship between Hitler's crime against the Jews and America's crimes against African-Americans. And he said, out of the inhuman black ghettos of American societies, out of the cotton plantations of the South, comes this record of mass slayings on the base of race of lives deliberately warped and distorted by the willful creation of conditions making for premature death, poverty, and disease. It is a record that calls aloud for condemnation for an end to these terrible injustices that constitute a daily and ever-increasing violation of the UN Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. So it's a very, very damning report. It opens up into a 39-page PDF So we have that link. I encourage everyone to go read it because it is just very detailed. And this was in 1951. They presented this in December 1951. So we see we're coming up on 70 years later, and we're still sitting here saying, having to define what is genocide, and we're pointing it out as to it's happening right now, Max. Right. That's a lot of weight, man. You know, sometimes I feel like Chicken Little, (laughs) you know? But the, <laughs> right. truth is, the truth is the truth. Uh, we're talking about past and present. For instance, um, did you know that there was over almost 8,000 people in, of course, four decades just in North Carolina alone, uh, mostly who were black, that were sterilized within prisons? Um, there's an article we have here from the News Observer. It says, For more than four decades, North Carolina's statewide eugenics program forcibly sterilized around 7,600 people, many of whom were black. This wasn't a coincidence, Mm. according to a new academic paper. Duke University professor William A. Darity Jr. co-authored a report published in the American Review of Political Economy 
that correlates 10 years of forced sterilization in counties across the state with the number of unemployed black residents, finding the program was all but designed to breed them out, according to a university news release. Uh, and, and, And that's just North Carolina, but there's also the incidents that have happened across the country, and that adds up to like 70,000 people. Uh, there was a author by the name of Cohen who uh, was on NPR, and he was talking mm-hmm. about the Supreme Court ruling in 1927. Uh, it's uh, Buck versus Bell. And in that Supreme Court ruling, there was a legal precedent that set, was set that says states may sterilize inmates of public institutions. And the court argued that imbecility, epilepsy, feeble-mindedness are hereditary, and that inmates should be prevented from passing these defects to the next generation. This was a Supreme Court ruling using crazy-ass language like feeble-mindedness and calling it hereditary. It was basically uh, racial hate and animosity that was being put on to the black and native communities to wipe them out, to sterilize them so that they would not be able to procreate. And at the very least, they were able to control the population in that way. Um, In the interview, Cohen says, well, you know, if you start by just looking at all the human misery that was inflicted, about 70,000 Americans were sterilized as a result of this decision. So that's an awful lot of people who wanted to have children who weren't able to have children. Also, we have to factor in all of the many people who were being segregated, who were being held in these institutions for, you know, eugenic reasons because they were feeble-minded, mm-hmm. whose lives, you know, unfolded living in places like the colony rather than living in freedom. And it wasn't just the mental institutions that were doing this. It was the prisons uh, all across the country that were doing this. Wow, Max, that's some great information right there. So let's get into this track, What is Genocide and International Law by David Starkey on Slavery and Black Lives Matter, and we'll continue the conversation on the other side. You're listening to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. We'll be right back after the track. Abolition. Abolition. What is genocide in international law? There's been some major controversy about this very recently in the UK. Let's try and make sense of it. Slavery was not genocide. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so many damn blacks in Africa or in Britain, would there? You know, an awful lot of them survived. And mm-hmm. So, David Starkey is a British public figure. He has an academic background and he has frequently appeared on TV and radio in the past. What he seems to be saying is that genocide is about the mass killing of a group of people. And his assumption seems to be that if too many members of that group survive, then no genocide. Is that true? What is genocide? What I want to do is take this opportunity to explore a little bit more carefully what genocide actually is in international law. The specific notion of genocide has its origins in the law. It was first proposed by a lawyer around the time of World War II. 
And it didn't take long for states to come together and agree upon a legal definition of genocide in an international treaty in 1948. And that definition goes like this. As you can see, there are a number of moving parts here. I just want to draw attention to two main aspects of this definition. If I'm going to be committing genocide, according to this definition, first of all, I need to have a particular mental state. I need to be intending to destroy in whole or in part a certain group. It could be a national group or an ethnic group, a racial group or a religious group. This already indicates that the legal definition of genocide may be rather different from what for instance, David Starkey seems to be assuming. When it comes to my intention, I might only be intending to destroy a group in part. It needs to be a substantial part, and there is case law that has clarified that, but I might only be intending to destroy a part of the group that I can get my hands on uh, within the territory, the region that I happen to be in. On top of that, there's a second aspect of this that's interesting, and that is the actions that I might be taking if I'm going to be committing genocide according to this definition. At the top of that list is killing, killing members of the group, but there can be other actions that I might be taking as well. So for instance, I might not be killing members of the group, but I might be instead causing severe physical harm or mental harm to members of the group. For instance, I might be putting in place measures that are designed to minimize the number of births within the group. I'm not killing members of the group, but I want the group to slowly die out over time. Any of these actions would count as relevant actions for the purposes of genocide, which is striking and which seems to be different from you know, a common understanding of genocide, perhaps the, the understanding that, that Starkey himself was trading on, this notion of mass killing of people. That certainly was, in my case, um, an assumption that I had about what genocide was before I actually came to study uh, the, the issue in international law. To bring this full circle, it is not the case that David Starkey was providing a fully informed account of what genocide is. At the same time, this is an opportunity for us to think about actually the definition of genocide in international law. And it raises some interesting questions. This is a common question about the way in which legal definitions of things differ from common understandings. So, for instance, the legal definition of genocide, the legal definition of charity, the legal definition of murder, these may be rather different from the common understandings of those notions. And that prompts all sorts of questions about you know, why that is. Um, is this problematic? Is this a case of lawyers um, making their profession very technical and closed off so that you know, they are the experts and they can charge large sums of money, very substantial fees, to deliver their expert advice to members of the public. These are some of the bigger questions I think in play generally in relation to the law and perhaps that's something that we can explore in another video. On that note, thank you very much for watching guys. 
see you in the next video. Abolition. 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 You just heard you just what heard. is genocide? Oh, oh, there you go. Go, go ahead, ahead bro. All right. You just heard what is genocide and international law. Uh, I believe that was from Lawyers Law Speaks. And David Starkley was the person speaking in the beginning. And they spoke about slavery and Black Lives Matters. There were some things that stood out for me. Uh, of course, you know, the question about uh, people's understanding. And, and we find that as slavery abolitionists to be something that is a big problem. Uh, what something means legally and what people think it means is often right. vastly different. Universes right. away. Uh, from that. And with genocide, it's the same thing. As you heard the speakers say, they figured that all the black people would be dead if it was really a genocide. But it, that's not how a genocide works. It can be in part, as he pointed out, you can be sterilizing people. Um, for instance, when I said there were 70,000 women who had been sterilized, uh, men too, because they were sterilizing the men, men and women mm-hmm. who have been sterilized in prisons as well as in mental institutions and such. Uh, if you think they had an average of about two kids, they each has 140,000 lives wiped out right there, not counting the next generations, which would even be more. So you killed 140,000 right. people in advance. They didn't even get here yet, and you've killed them already. Right. And so while it was playing, he mentioned the uh, 1948 Genocide Convention. I posted a link to that. And within the article, there's also a link to the articles. There are 19 articles that were drafted during that convention. And a thing that sticks out to me, when we look at Article 3, where it, where it actually uh, codifies what actual crimes are, so it's one genocide, conspiracy to commit genocide, direct and public incitement to commit genocide, attempt to commit genocide, and complicity in genocide. Mm -hmm. So, just like, you know, when they bring us into the courtrooms, they have so many different uh, degrees that they can charge us. Well, there are so many different degrees and a person's level of culpability when it comes to genocide. So, it's not just committing the act, but it's conspiracy to do so, as we'll find other things throughout tonight's show, and then also the complicity in it. You know, so we have, we'll find major companies were investing different type of eugenics experiments that were going on, say, for instance, in Cold Spring Harbor and other places. You know, when we start talking about uh, the founder of Haynes, the founder of Procter & Gamble, uh, Henry Ford, you know, and many other people were involved in this. So they are actually complicit in it as well, although they weren't there during the experimentation, Max. Yes. Um, I was reading along with the definition of it. Uh, I was looking at some of the things that they say can be done. Uh, so they point you to Article 2 of the United Nations where it says, in the present convention, genocide means any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy a whole or a part, a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group, as such, which you just pointed out, you know, killing members and all, all those different things. But then on Article 3, it says that the following acts shall be punishable. Now, that's mm-hmm. a word that I, I like to hear. The following acts shall be punishable. Genocide. 
conspiracy to mix the things that you just pointed out. But then mm-hmm. Article 4, it goes on to say persons committing genocide or any of the other acts enumerated in Article 3 shall be punished, whether they are constitutionally responsible rulers, public officials, or private individuals. And we're talking about several, I think it was 140-some-odd nations that have signed on to this, 149 nations as of January 2008, talking about if we see you're doing this, you shall be punished. But and that's confusion. increased to 152 as of July 2019. See, 152 different nations, all of the major nations, including the United States, who is the biggest hypocrite of all right now when it comes to this. But the confusion also comes in, the reason that they don't want to prosecute uh, genocides like this is because you have to prove that the intention of what they were trying to do, like they 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 intentionally wanted to sterilize an entire uh, segment of people. They intentionally wanted to steal someone's land and in order to do so, uh, poison them with uh, blankets that have a uh, disease in them, smallpox in them, or, you know, these are things that we know actually happen, and yet uh, America doesn't have any genocide listed on its chart right now. Just give me one second, Max. I just happened to come across the, the entire list of countries that ratified that uh, 1948 convention. So I just put that up on the page, and it tells you the name of the country, and it tells you the year that they uh, – it says a session, secession, or ratification, and it gives all of the countries – and I'm going to scroll down to the United States to see what year the United States signed, 11 December 1948. It has a date of November 25th, 1988 as ratification for the United States. And again, you can go, anyone can go, they can see the link. It, Names every country. So if you're listening, say, in Chile and you want to see if your country is there, you can go right there and see. Benin joined uh, November 2nd, 2017. And it was one other thing that, that uh, stood out. Well, everything stood out. Like I said, there are 19 articles to the convention. But another thing... Or I wanted to just further speak on uh, what you mentioned under Article 2 when it mentions uh, sub sub, uh, E where it says forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. Mm -hmm. And so when we start talking about the trade of the enslaved people, auction blocks and all, you know, these people didn't voluntarily leave, you know. We know mothers were making up stories about their children being lame and dumb because they wanted to keep them. They didn't just voluntarily let their children get shipped off to other plantations, sometimes even other countries. So when we hear people talking like uh, this guy uh, Starkey talking about slavery was not genocide, well, 
here it is right here within the within the articles forcible transfer of children of the group to another group that's all i had to say on that max that also applies to the boarding schools too uh, and you know they're finding mass graves all over Canada now from the boarding schools, and they haven't even checked the United States yet. Um, so you know when you were sent to the boarding schools, it wasn't like you got to go home at night. <laughs> you know that's where you lived at right. from there on in until right. you got through it. If you got through it, uh, if so you these, got through it. If and every time there was an uprising against slavery, another genocide occurred. They would normally slaughter. Uh, even if you weren't even in the state, they would brutalize you just to put you in check because of what somebody else had done. But you remember with the Stono Rebellion and Nat Turner and all these others, where once they it was over and the rebellion was quelled, they would literally hang heads on pikes along roads and hang people right. and trees right. along the roads so you could see them coming miles away and the stench of dead bodies would be in the next county uh, so bad just to show their hate of what they were doing. And not because these were, you know, bad people. They were trying to escape slavery <laughs> by any means right. necessary. By I any mean, you? means necessary. And then again, this is something that's still ongoing right here in the ICE facilities. Like we just found out recently about Georgia and their ICE facility is sterilizing women. Uh, there's an article that says Revelations about forced hysterectomies at an ICE facility in Georgia have forced a reckoning with the long history of sterilizations in the U.S., particularly of black, brown, poor, and disabled people. In this way, the procedure has continued in jails and prisons to the present day. We speak with Kelly Dillon, who was sterilized at the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla in 2001, and she's featured in the documentary Belly of the Beast, that's Belly of the Beast, which tells the stories of women subjected to unwanted sterilization behind bars in California. She says incarcerated women are punished for simply requesting medical records. If we begin to press, we are reprimanded and sometimes put on lockdown, says Dylan, who in 2006 became the first survivor of sterilization abuse to sue the California Department of Corrections for damages. Between 2006 and 10, California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation sterilized nearly 150 women without required state approval. Forced sterilization is genocide, noted filmmaker Eric Cohn, who directed Belly of the Beast and spent nearly a decade making it. The film, it came out uh, October 16th, and it's available on PBS's Independent Lens. That's happening just recent history, where they were still right. sterilizing people in prisons, not even to U.S. citizens in ICE facilities. Like, you know, these people ain't got no rights. They're, they're not Americans, so we can just do whatever we can do to them. Do what we want to do to them. Right. So these prisons and jails were always used to keep our, to control our population. Like, if you're in prison, you ain't making no babies. That's for sure. Unless you got some special right. kind of arrangement going on, you ain't making no babies in prison. So that in itself is a form of genocide. If you're talking about 2.3 million people that are in prison right now, that's 2.3 million people being prevented from procreating. And why? Because... You believe they're feeble-minded. You believe that they're, you know, just bad people, and it's hereditary, which is right-wing rhetoric often that we're born this way, right? Right. 
demonizes, criminalizes, and right. then say that, you know, our children are susceptible to it. You know what our children are susceptible to? Lead poisoning. Uh, in Flint, as I've mentioned before, right now, you've got all these children that were affected by lead poisoning, and it lasts for generations, and it causes uh, violent, uh, violence, cognitive disabilities, inabilities to learn or to reason. And then two or three generations, you're going to wonder why they're shooting each other. You know, Max, uh, I mentioned earlier about uh, Cold Spring Harbor, and there's an article that I just put up. It's called When Racism Was a Science. It was published in the New York Times, October 13, 2014. Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory bustled with more than 600 researchers and technicians regularly producing breakthroughs in genetics, cancer, and neuroscience. In its heyday, the office was the uh, premier scientific enterprise at Cold Spring. There, bigoted scientists applied rudimentary genetics to singling out supposedly superior races and degrading minorities. When the Eugenics Records Office opened its doors in 1910, the founding scientists were considered progressives, intent on applying mm. classic genetics to breeding better citizens. Breeding better citizens. Funding poured in from the Rockefeller family and the Carnegie Institution, Charles Davenport, uh, prolific Harvard biologist and his colleague Harry Laughlin led the charge. There were many prominent New Yorkers involved in eugenics. It was initially about how to become more efficient as a modern society. By the mid-20s, the office had become the center of the eugenics movement in America. Researchers sought out, quote-unquote, unfit families in the Manhattan slums and the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. They cataloged disabilities and undesirable traits, scribbling the exact dimensions of, har- of heads and arms. Psychiatric Institute sent crates of the case files to the office where chief characteristics of the quote-unquote feeble-minded were collected into pedigree charts. Davenport himself devised a sophisticated apparatus to, quali- to quantify skin color. And the e- eugenics record office was built around very systemic ideas that still might be seen as legitimate today, says Noah Fuller, an artist and co-curator of the exhibit. At the time, this was widely accepted as legitimate science. So it's, you know, it's a New York Times article, so you, can, you know it's a long article. I encourage everyone to go read it. It's called When Racism Was a Science, published in 2014. Man, that feeble-minded stuff was just dog whistles, you know? Uh, yeah. Whoever they wanted to sterilize is what it was. Uh, according yes, to their rules, Stephen Hawkins wouldn't have got us this. You know, he wouldn't have been applied as feeble-minded, but I would. <laughs> you know, right, right. So it, it was really just a bunch of racists getting together not long after Reconstruction and deciding, as the opening clip said, the largest group was those who said we should not be able to have children, that we should be euthanized, uh, we should be sterilized. And that was the largest group. They had to go back to Africa group, which what Lincoln was a part of. Um, they had, uh, you know, various other groups, but the biggest group was the ones that thought that we should be allowed to have children. And so they took it upon themselves to develop these institutions that did exactly that, that sterilized us. And, you know, we're going to get into some uncomfortable conversations today, but the truth is the truth. It's not a matter of opinion we're going to be talking about. We're just telling you what it is. 
Uh, right. What we think, what I think, don't really matter. It's just laid out there for everybody to see, and you can make your own decisions about how you feel about it. So let's start with the Anne Rand clip, I'm thinking. Um, you know, yeah, she, we she, want to talk about uncomfortable conversations, <laughs> right? We want to talk because you know people still uh, idolize her and look at her as brilliant with all these fans. Sure, Atlas Scrubs and the Fountainhead and you know, right those type of books. And she was directly connected with white supremacists who are all about sterilization. So let's go mm-hmm. ahead and play Anne Rand on supporting the genocide of Native Americans. This is what evil sounds like when it tries to be logical. You're listening to Abolition Today with Max and Yusuf. AbolitionToday.org. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. 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 But now as to the Indians, I don't even care to discuss that kind of alleged complaints that they have against this country. I do believe with serious scientific reasons that Worst kind of movie that you have probably seen, worst from the Indian viewpoint, as to what they did to the white men. I do not think that they had any right to, to live in a country merely because they were born here and acted and lived like savages. Americans didn't conquer. Americans did not conquer that country. Whoever is making sounds there, I think, is hissing that. He's right, but uh, please be consistent. You are a racist if you are object to that. <laughs> you are that because you believe that anything can be given to man by his biological birth or for biological reasons. If you're born in a magnificent country which you don't know what to do with, you believe that that's a property right. It is not. And since the Indians did not have any property rights, they didn't have the concept of property. They didn't even have a settled uh, society. They were predominantly nomadic tribes. They were a primitive tribal culture, if you want to call it that. If so, they didn't have any rights to the land, and there was no reason for anyone to grant them rights which they had not conceived and were not using. It would be wrong to attack any country which does respect, or tribe for that matter, that respects individual rights. Because if they do, you are an aggressor and you're morally wrong if you attack them. But if a country does not protect rights, if a given tribe is the slave of its own tribal chief, why should you respect the rights they do not have? Or any country which has a dictatorship, government, the citizens still have individual rights, but the country does not have any rights. If anyone has the right to invade it, because rights are not recognized in this country, and you, neither you, nor a country, nor anyone can have your cake and eat it too. In other words, won't respect for the rights of Indians, who incidentally, for most cases of their tribal history, made agreements with the white men, and then when they had used up whichever they got through the agreement of giving, selling certain territory, then came back and broke the agreement and attacked white settlements. 
I would go further. Let's say that, let's suppose they were all beautifully innocent savages, which they certainly were not. What was it that they were fighting for if they opposed white men on this continent? For their wish to continue a primitive existence. Their right to keep part of the earth untouched, unused, and not even a property, but just keep everybody out so that you have, will leave practically like an animal or maybe a few cases about Any white person who brings the element of civilization have the right to take over this country. And it is great that some people did and discovered here what they couldn't do anywhere else in the world and what the Indians, if there are any racist Indians today, do not believe to this day in respect for individual rights. I am incidentally in favor of Israel against the Arabs for the very same reason. There you have the same issue in reverse. The, uh, Israel is not a good country politically. It's a mixed economy leaning strongly to socialism. But why do the Arabs resent it? Because it is a wedge of civilization, an industrial uh, wedge in part of a continent which is totally primitive and nomadic. Israel is being attacked for being civilized and being specifically a technological society. It's for that very reason that they should be supported, that they are morally right because they represent the progress of men's minds, just as the white settlers of America represented the progress of the mind, not centuries of brute stagnation and superstition. They represented the banner of the mind, and they were in the right. Man, I feel like I just walked through three feet of crap to listening to that. Uh, like, it's so contradictory, self-contradictory and hypocritical and uh, this woman that they, they people idolize her and did you hear the things right. that she said talking about you know if you don't agree with her then you're the racist uh, lets me know right off the bat she don't even understand what race is it's just a tool for her to use for eugenics uh, she was saying what they did to the white man what the natives did to the white man is the problem I don't know what the kill count of Native Americans is in this country, but it's in the tens of millions. Maybe somebody will call in and let right. us know. Uh, we're at 515-605-9814, 515-605-9814. Remember to press 1 on your keypad so we know you have a question or a comment. Uh, one of the things that she was saying is that it's okay to go ahead and just attack primitive tribes if you deem they are a primitive, uncivilized, savage tribe. Uh, and take everything that they have. You know, Ted Turner's got like a gajillion acres of land that ain't nothing but forest right out in the middle of the country. So that means you can just go over there and take Ted Turner's land because he ain't using it. <laughs> and it's, prim he's, it's a primitive thing. It's, it's not developed. So you just go ahead and take it. But 
it, it's not okay, right, to do that to Ted Turner, but it is okay to do to these native tribes and to wipe them out while doing so. I don't remember the natives, uh, the indigenous people having a government that was paying uh, their citizens to collect scouts. I don't remember that. Do you remember that, Yusuf? I do not remember that. <laughs> I don't. I didn't know it was like that. You know, it makes it seem like they're the ones who were the problem. Uh, she said it's okay to take over a dictatorship. So, you know, I'm surprised we haven't started doing that. Why are we taking over all the dictatorships across the country? There's some princes and kings who think they're princes and kings, and we should go over there and just take it over, right? That's how it works? That's That must be how it works. You know, and it hurts me because one of my – like one of my best quotes that I give or like one of the things that I say a lot, you know, comes from Ayn Rand. You know, when she said everything man needs has to be uh, discovered by his own mind and then produced by his own effort. So I've always been of the opinion that, you know, everything that we – all knowledge is already in our brains and that we just have to unlock it through our experiences you know, and and but then it's like, okay, she has this whole thing called her uh, objectivity ethics, or she starts talking about ethics being more of a science, more than like a social construct. And I can see how she can start saying stuff like this. And I'm looking at an article right now; it's projecting hey, around hey, 55 million. But I saw the board light up. Yeah, you before know. you get into the article, let's bring in a caller, man. If somebody wants to throw in their two cents on this. 0390, you are on Abolition Today with Max and Yusuf. Uh, state your name, your question or comment. Hey, this is Star Smith. How are you? Hey, Star Smith. How you doing? Hey, Star. How you doing? I'm good. So, I just, I'm flabbergasted. I knew Ayn Rand was a problem, but wow. I'm just right. I didn't know she that was that much of a problem. Oh, my goodness. I mean, and they're just bold-faced lies. I mean, she didn't know what she was talking about, and she was talking with such authority right. out of such ignorance. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that's just pure hate. Like Max said, it's e- what evil sounds like when it's trying to justify itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the, uh, on, the, on the kill count. For Native uh, Americans, that uh, is a hotly debated topic. There right. are some people who say it was a hundred million, and there were others that say it was less than that. And a bunch of people, you know, are in the school of thought that most Natives died due to um, diseases that they had no immunities to. But the, but, but. The historical record, if you really look at it, shows that because of all the colonial trauma and craziness that was going on, the violence, making people more um, vulnerable than they normally would have been if they weren't under constant threat um, of slavery and genocide, they probably wouldn't have caught those diseases because, I mean, it's a fallacy that most died from disease. It it was it was the genocide and the slavery piece that did most of us in. So you're of the Bear Bear Clan from the Wampanoag tribe, correct? I'm not Wampanoag. I'm Saponi and Mohawk, Saponi. but I am Bear Saponi Clan. And, Saponi and Mohawk. Okay, Saponi and Mohawk. So 
do you have some authority as an elder and an academic to answer the question that she asked? What were they fighting for? Well, they... (laughs) (laughs) Wow. How much time do we have for you to answer that, right? (laughs) That was the question that she had. What were they fighting for? Like, like you ain't losing nothing. That's how she was coming at it, you know? We're making you better people. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, how much time do we have? (laughs) We got about three minutes. We got to go to the music break. Okay, well, the one thing I want to say is we're still fighting for it. Whatever it was we're fighting for, we're still fighting. Freedom, self-determination, the ability to stay on your ancestral land, living however the hell you want to live on your ancestral land, using your culture and not somebody else's. Without some white European crazy genocidal, homicidal mofos, (laughs) <laughs> you know, deciding <laughs> who can live and who can die. I mean, that's crazy. Right. right. That that's it, it's insane. It, it is in freaking insane. And it, the it, U.S. has never been held accountable for any of this. Any of it. It's criminal. It's not just insane. It's criminally insane. Criminally insane. Yes. Crimes like against humanity. Insane. That's it is why we is. call it that. Crimes against humanity. It'll make an angel cry so damn sad that what they have done and never been held accountable and got the nerve to point their fingers at somebody else talking about the Uyghurs in China and genocide Mm, over mm, there mm, and Armenian mm, genocides and all these other mm. different genocides and not pointing the fingers at their own We're still dealing with the genocide here. It's not over yet. It continues, though it never ended. It, That's it, correct. And we're still fighting for our freedom. Say it again for the people in the back. It, the genocide against Native Americans and Africans actually never ended. We are still fighting for our freedom against these genocidal, capitalistic, colonialist most right. <laughs> just, just, you know, Just pointing at the police alone, we know that on, in the past decade, They've killed about 1,200 people a year mm. just just by their own mm. record. So you're talking about uh, about mm. 12,000 people killed by police mm. just in the past decade. And that's not counting those that happened behind the bars in the prisons right. that died because right. of abuse or neglect or whatever it right. is they die from in there. So it's roughly mm-hmm. somewhere between thirty and 40,000 people dead at the hands of corrections and law just in the past decade, 30 to 40,000 people. That's crazy. Yeah, that's not even counting all the people whose lives are destroyed due to poverty that was imposed upon them. Right. Yes. And, you know, you've been saying mofo a few times, and that's what our music break is today. We're going to start with that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. <laughs> thanks for calling Very in. Thanks. Us, yeah, thanks for calling in. We really appreciate the call. You're more than welcome. Yeah, we're, we're going to go ahead and get into that music break. It's uh, Mafa 21. It's a clip from that. And we are not done being controversial. Like I said, what we think don't matter. What we know is what we're talking about. 
So Mafia 21, Nixon and Population Control. And we're going to follow that up with a caller's Murder Runs the Globe. You're listening to Abolition Today with Max Quartus and Yusuf Hassan. Today's topic is what's genocide? And we'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. In January of 1973, the Supreme Court legalized abortion on demand throughout the United States. And almost immediately, the Religious Coalition for Abortion Rights was formed. Less than a year earlier, the following conversation had taken place in the Oval Office of the White House. It began on the 30th of March, 1972, and continued four days later on the 3rd of April. This is an actual recording of that conversation. The speakers are the President of the United States, Republican Richard Nixon, and members of his senior staff. A majority of people in Colorado voted for abortion. I think a majority of people in Michigan voted for abortion. I think in both cases, well, certainly in Michigan, they will vote for it because they think that what's going to be aborted generally are the little black bastards. As I told you, we talked about it earlier, that a hell of a lot of people want to control the Negro bastards. Yeah. Isn't that very true? Sure. So we we're talking about population control. Sure. We're talking really in what John Rockefeller really realizes. Look, the people in what we call our class control their population. Sometimes they'll have a family of six or seven or eight or nine. But it's exception. The people who don't control their families are people in the people that shouldn't have kids. Now that's what the market population. The market population in the city of San Francisco has gone from three thousand right after World War II to where they represent thirty percent of the population of San Francisco. Yes, sir. The Religious Coalition for Abortion Rights was originally created with the financial backing of John Rockefeller, and its current president is an African-American who was once appointed to the Washington, D.C. City Council by Richard Nixon. In the early 1990s, the organization changed its name and is today known as the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. Every shot that find us food at night time, don't you wonder what potential was extinguished to keep the flames burning on the food or on the world and over what principles are so the same? No, we pretend they're not as if they do not control cocaine. We find it connected. Every kid in the hood that's living with a death wish is the same as the king who kills for the bling, but he's just much more reckless. It's the king that I'm talking about, who's born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Still gonna clap for the slightest to chat at any world leader that can't back it. If he's sitting on the boxes, they're just oil mineral deposits. Foodies moving fucking with our profit, so he better stop it. They say money make the world go round, but it don't. That's just not true if you ain't got guns to protect that money I regret that money is more for you Only murder further agendas that money took and force Eliminate the foes who propose to suppose a different course Cause a little torture, usually a big supporter Though there's nothing quite like killing good riddance to non-supporters We demonize the man on the corner Paint him as the fuck, we worship murder so much It's just that he ain't killed enough You wanna commit murder and not end up in cuffs You gotta make it to the Premier League Whoever said that money makes the world go round They just didn't know murder runs the globe, murder runs the globe. Who said money makes the world go round? They just didn't know murder runs the globe. Murder runs the globe. Who said money makes the world go round? They just didn't know murder runs the globe. Murder runs the globe. Who said money makes the world go round? They didn't know murder runs the globe. Murder runs the globe. Every night to punch along the sons don't make you wonder Mums if he was born to billionaires Back by a hundred guns Would he be living still Drinking, sleeping, eating meals Instead of dead Where it don't count We expect you to be 
chilled Cause living as a pauper is a thing that's tainted Acquainted with torture, we ain't debating the rape of the daughter If she was raised in particular borders Place the fate made particular slaughters No fate, just particular orders It's the way of the world, no accident In fact, it's immaculate Got a big gun, stop clapping it Cause the language of power devour quick Any silly little pacifist or activist or challenges Brown or black skin savages When habiting land with minerals in it Think for a minute that the rhetoric we spoke hope Was not meant to be a joke Don't dream compassion, what happened it won't Just go straight for the folk Cause any nation or races that prove themselves incapable Matching more than murder machines make themselves enslavable It is murder, not money, we desire insatiable The thrilling and the killing is million dollar sensational Yes! What we can't do with a bribe could be achieved in the breeze with a gun and a knife Because only murder further agendas that money couldn't grind Nothing like a couple dead kids to change a parent's mind Whoever said that money makes the world go round They just didn't know murder runs the globe Murder runs the globe Who said money makes the world go round They just didn't know murder runs the globe Murder runs the globe Who said money makes the world go round They just didn't know murder runs the globe Murder runs the globe Who said money makes the world go round They didn't know murder runs the globe Murder runs the globe Let's get a little clarity. You ain't got the capacity to internationally have a say in the way things happening. You expect to collect more battering. Your arsenal ain't got no nukes. Armies equipped with too few troops. We're laughing at you when you call truce. Part of the ritual to shoot, shoot, shoot. You got no background in colonization or public resource privatization. You can't bang with the big boys, face it. But you still wanna play like Satan. You got no death scores to call your own or a pilot to fly your drones. Much less bulldozers for their homes. Talk gangster. You wanna name Al Capone? He was an amateur. Silly little boys don't understand. Even he went jail for tax evasion for missing a payment in a payment plan to the man. One with a visible hand and a hit of to enforce my plan, I am Just because I can More wicked than the summer of Sam Kick your shit and I kick my fam You bust your gun and I bomb your land Only murder further pretenders That money can't control Nothing like a massacred village To get the problem solved Whoever said that money makes the world go round, they just didn't know. Murder runs the globe, murder runs the globe. Who said money makes the world go round? They just didn't know. Murder runs the globe, murder runs the globe. Who said money makes the world go round? They just didn't know. Murder runs the globe, murder runs the globe. Who said money makes the world go round? They didn't know. Murder runs the globe, murder runs the globe. Who said money makes the world go round? They just didn't know. Murder runs the globe, murder runs the globe. Who said money makes the world go round, they just didn't know, murder runs the globe, murder runs the globe, who said money makes the world go round, they just didn't know, murder runs the globe, murder runs the globe, who said money makes the world go round, they didn't know, murder runs the globe, murder runs the globe. Abolition, 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 Wow. Wow, Max. Mob for 21. with me? Yep, I'm yeah. here. Mob for 21, Nixon population control, followed by Akala. Murder runs the globe. So, yeah, That brother man, hit the uh, nail in the head, man. Murder runs <laughs> the globe. Right. He, he, he definitely made his point about that. Nothing like a couple kids to change your parents' mind. Um, wow. So... Nixon and two things. He actually committed, he was participating in two different genocides simultaneously. Nixon was mm-hmm. one of the architects of the sudden incarceration boom that happened. You know, remember he, back in, when he came in, it was only like 20,000 people nationwide. And then he started right. on drugs, and boom, 
they started attacking uh, people of color all over the place and filling those prisons with it, right? starting that whole for-profit prison industry where they warehouse bodies and work them for free. In addition to that, you know, as I said, you know, if you're in prison in jails, you ain't making no babies. And then in addition to that, it was the Roe versus Wade decision, which he was heavily influencing um, because he was a sitting president at the time. And you right. heard the clips of him and his own voice saying things, but some of it was distorted. I'm not distorted. So I'm going to read some of these quotes to you, what Nixon said. Um, I've done the research on the Nixon tapes and discovered some things that other people haven't even found yet, like him talking about the Bohemian Groves and how the Bohemian uh, group ran the country. But this is his uh, comments right now on Roe versus Wade. Nixon and an aide held a conversation recorded on January 23rd, 1973, discussing the day's Supreme Court's decisions in Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton. He said, I know that there are times when abortions are necessary. I know that, Nixon tells an aide, then adding, when you have a black and a white. The aide interrupts him and says, or for rape, to which Nixon quickly responds, or rape. So the first thing in his mind about why an abortion should be legal is for mixed-race children. <laughs> when you have a black right. and a white. The aide had to point out, oh, yeah, or, or for rape. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, for rape. But no, that's not what he was thinking. And then he went on in tape number 697-29 and say, a majority of people in Colorado voted for abortion. I think a majority of people in Michigan are for abortion. I think in both cases, well, certainly in Michigan, they will vote for it because they think that's what's going to be aborted generally are the little black bastards. The little black bastards is the reason that white America is going to vote for abortions, right? To know that these children are going to be killed, and those specific children, and that was the president, the sitting president's own words. And then in tape number 700-10, he said, as I told you, and we talked about it earlier, that a hell of a lot of people want to control all the Negro bastards. And an unidentified staff member says, yeah, and Nixon goes, isn't that really true? And then Nixon says, you know what we are talking about, population control. And Stafford says, sure. And then Nixon says, we're talking really, and what John Rockefeller really realizes, look, the people in what we call the our class control their population. Sometimes they have a family of six or seven or eight or nine, but it's an exception. And the unidentified staffer says, sure. And then Nixon goes on to say, People who don't control their families are people in the people who shouldn't have kids. President Nixon formed the Population Commission, which was headed by eugenics members. This is a sitting president saying this is his opinions during the case of Roe versus Wade. So the reason that it made it is because people generally believe that the little black bastards were going to be the ones being controlled. And the number one reason that anybody should get an abortion is because of a mixture of black and whites having a child. Yusuf? There was just so much there, Max. And, you know, we even heard it directly from his mouth when he spoke about Rockefeller, you know, as it came up in the Cole Harbor report that we did you know, 15 minutes ago or so. 
it's it's just so in, in depth just to hear this. You know, it's one thing when you say you believe something's going on or we have our speculations and things of that nature, but to literally hear it, to literally hear it out of their mouths. So we can only imagine if this is what we're hearing out of their mouths, what their hearts hold, it's going to be far worse. You know, when he calls them little black bastards. Right, little black bastards. And we heard Ayn Rand, yeah, and when we heard Ayn Rand say, beautiful, innocent savages. Mm. Somebody needs (laughs) to put that on a t-shirt. Right. Even right, when they, they put on the t-shirt of, uh, yeah, when they put on the t-shirts, uh, what was it, creepy-ass cracker, you know, from the recordings of of uh, Trayvon Martin, this is something that they should have on there to really, if you want to really uh, educate about something, this is something that should be there, that this is what the U.S. president was saying out of his mouth. This is in my lifetime, man. Yours too. Right. right. We both were alive when this happened. <laughs> I was I was the number one reason for abortion, according to him. My life. Right. right. When my parents were married and made me, uh, Ro- not only Roe versus Wade hasn't been put in effect yet, but also the loving laws haven't been put in effect. So I was an illegal birth to begin with. So they went from making us illegal to be born to literally making us the number one reason to kill us. Right. Now, as I mentioned, it's not about my opinion. It, whether I am in support of women's reproductive rights or not doesn't matter. This is history and the facts that I'm telling you. This is what he said during that period. My opinion don't matter in this case. You decide what you're hearing here. Right. Exactly. Because we know that this is such a touchy subject, but we're speaking on not someone's personal choice in their life, but we're talking about a conspiracy to wipe out a race of people. They're two different things, vastly different things. That's right. We are giving you evidence that could be used in court right now. This is the sitting president at the time. This is what his opinions on the matter were. This is who he suspected and believed would be voting for this and why they would be voting for it. Not because of reproductive rights, but because of a black and a white or to control the little Negro bastard population. Because it was just too damn many of us. You know, we've been 13%. For as long as we've been around here, apparently, they prune us like a freaking tree, keeping us right at a certain number so we don't get too much. Meanwhile, everybody else is surpassing us in population. Uh, it's just so abnormal. Right. And there was another thing that Nixon was involved with, too. At, at the time, there was like 300,000 people on, on welfare. Um, and a lot of that came, do you remember the, the marches on Washington were by jobs because they weren't giving people jobs. What would they give us? Right. Housekeeper jobs, garbage man jobs, service jobs. We, we couldn't get into any industry in any respectable way by any large number. They kept us out of that. And so perpetual poverty along with redlining and all of that kept us uh, at a certain state. So many people ended up on welfare. And in order to stop that, he made a deal where – 
if you agree to have no have no more children, you could stay on welfare. But if you had more children, you would be taken off welfare. <laughs> like, damn. Exactly. So, you know, you put people in these positions, you create the environment that they have to exist in, and then you give them reasons not to have any more children at all. You're trying to wipe them out on purpose. Like, you, you, it's, it's a conscious thing that you're doing based on a race and a class. Right. So, right. That's exactly right. what happened. Remember, you can join the conversation, 515-605-9814. 515-605-9814 and press 1 on your keypad if you have a question or a comment. Um, there's a list here that I've got until we get a caller or whatever. It's called the 10 Stages of Genocide. Have you seen that yet? I'm just actually looking at it right now. Um, let's go through it real quick. Try to, you know, just it's very long, and I don't, I can't read the whole thing, so I'm going to try to keep it short. Number one is classification. All cultures have categories that distinguish people into us and them by ethnicity, race, religion, or nationality. Um, the main preventive measure at this early stage is to develop universalistic institutions that transcend ethnic or racial divisions and actively promote tolerance and understanding. That's the answer to it, right? But that's not what they do. Number two is symbolization. We give names or symbols to the classifications. We name people Jews or gypsies or niggers mm-hmm. or distinguish them by color or dress and apply the symbols to members or of groups. So that's where you, you know, symbolization. Then you got discrimination. A dominant group uses law custom and political power to deny the rights of other groups. We know that's happening to us, right? Discrimination. Right. And dehumanization. One group denies the humanity of the other group. So they you just heard Nixon doing that. The little black bastards. Not children. Right. The little black bastards. And the whole country thinks they're little black bastards and that's why they should die. Right. And then number well, five super organization. Predators. Super predators, right. Criminals. Then the fifth one is organization. Genocide is always organized, usually by the state, often using militias to provide deniability of state responsibility. Um, Then number six is polarization. Extremists drive the groups apart. Hate groups broadcast polarizing propaganda. Isn't that happening right now? Wow. Can't you see that right now? That is exactly what's happening right now. Right now. Preparation. Plans are made for genocidal killings. I remember a few months ago when we were playing one of those clips where somebody called up the president, one of his friends, talking about they should kill all of them. They should just shoot them all. The people that were rioting and the Black Lives Matter, just shoot to kill. Preparations, plans are made for genocidal killings. And he damn sure went out to do that, talking about when the looting starts, the shooting starts. The that's shooting just one starts. example. Then you got number eight is persecution. Victims are identified and separated out because of their ethnic or religious identities. Death lists are drawn up in state-sponsored genocide. Members of victim groups are forced, uh, maybe forced to wear identifying symbols. And you know, when I, I hear this persecution, I think of what happened in Ferguson with all the activists that suddenly ended up dead in a burned-up car with a bullet in their head. Remember that persecution. Yeah. 
and then extermination begins and quickly becomes the mass killing legally called genocide. It is extermination to the killers because they do not believe their victims to be fully human. See, when this is sponsored by the state, the armed forces often work with militias to do the killing. So this is what we see here in America when I just told you about cops killing 1,200 people every year and the prisons killing two to three times that many every freaking year. Genocides don't always happen all at once. Sometimes they happen over time. And you have to look back and say, how many people died in this past? How many people ended up in cages in these past decades? And then see the numbers there, and you get a much broader picture of it. Because everybody don't die the same day doesn't mean it's not a genocide. And then number 10 is the one that really threw me for a loop. It's called denial. Denial is the final stage that lasts throughout and always follows genocide. It is among the surest indicators of further genocidal massacres. The perpetrators of genocide dig up the mass graves, burn the bodies, try to cover up the evidence, and intimidate the witnesses. They deny that they committed any crimes and often blame what happened on the victims. They block investigations of the crime and continue to govern until driven from power by force. When they flee into exile, there they remain with impunity like Pol Pot or Idi Amin unless they are captured and a tribunal is established to try them. Man, that is all right now. Right now, you see what's happening with the uh, states refusing to allow critical race theory to affect the minds of their children because it implies or says that the United States was built on racism and slavery and genocide. It's all denial. They're like complete denial, blaming the victims. You know, if your Negroes wasn't running up on our guns, we wouldn't be shooting you. Right. (laughs) You know, if you were better people, you pulled up your pants, cut off your dreads, Stop swearing. Stop smoking at reefers. Maybe you could be president, too. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly uh, what happened. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. And it says they block investigations of the crimes and continue to govern until it's driven from power by the force. And that's what we see right now, them blocking investigations of crimes. Like when we went to Louisiana and testified in nine White Republican uh, senators voted no to ending slavery and talked about how this was the the most dangerous bill they seen that session. Uh, you know, they're blocking investigations of the crimes. Same thing right. with trying to prevent the critical race theory from being used or applied. Same thing with the 1619 Project, and it's going to be the same thing when we put together slavery abolitionist curriculum. They are going to block everything that points to them as committing a crime. And while they're doing it, the hypocritical, no good, evil asses will be pointing at other people going, look at what China doing, damn China. China, you were so screwed up, you just killing Ugers all over the place, ain't you? Right. (laughs) Wow. I wonder how many people, which nation had more people killed? Did cops kill more people in this country than Uyghurs in China? I'm curious. Does anybody know? Call us and let us know. Did the police in America last year, killing nearly 1,400 people, kill more people than China did Uyghurs in China? Uh, I'm curious about that. Yusuf? 
I'm, you, you know I'm Mr. Google, so I'm going at it right now. <laughs> you know, I, I would not be surprised if our cops are killing more people than they're killing the, the Uyghurs. Like, really, and China denies it, and they have the right to do so. They're saying that, you know, we're not doing any of this. The Americans are just pointing fingers at the wrong people, but point back at you and what you're doing to black people. Even Duarte out in the Philippines, when he started murdering people who they called drug dealers there, and they asked him about it. He was like, you know, what are we doing any different than the United States is doing? You're doing it to the black man over there. You got the same problem over there. But right. it's okay for you to do it and not okay for me to do it? Because what, you're civilized and we're savages? Is that how it works? That was the president of the Philippines saying that. Right. And and one of the main differences that just jumps right out is the fact that that is being labeled genocide, but what has happened and continues to happen here in the U.S. is not even not even classified as a genocide, although it checks off so many boxes on what's within the convention as the definition of genocide. They won't call it genocide, just like they won't call it slavery. Uh, it's the murderer not wanting to be called a murderer. It's the rapist not wanting to be called a rapist. Uh, when we talk right. about people like Thomas Jefferson and we call him a child molesting rapist, people get offended by that. Why are you impugning on his honor? He was a great man. He, he, he was a founder of this country. He wrote the damn Declaration of Independence that you enjoy rights to right now. How dare you call him a rapist and a child molester? I've had people who, like, in my family, they won't talk to me no more because I've said these things about these alleged founding fathers. <laughs> like, it's, it's complete denial. You know, if I saved a life every day of the week for mm-hmm. my entire life, would it be okay for me to rape somebody once in a while? Would that be okay? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because the moment I do it once, I'm a rapist. <laughs> it don't matter Period. how many people I saved. I'm a rapist. The moment I rape somebody one time, the moment you catch one slave, guess what you are? A slave catcher. A slave catcher. Catch That's the right. The moment you control somebody's life as property, you're a slaver. The moment you sell stocks in prisons and jail bonds, you're a slave seller. You're a flesh peddler. And these are crimes against humanity. And we're talking about uh, genocide today. And we've shown you several examples of it uh, where it's done through um, prevention of births in whole or part. In this case, it was very much in, uh, as many as they could get. We found about 70,000 cases, over seven, almost 8,000 in uh, North Carolina alone. And we've traced that all the way up to the present day with California and ICE detention facilities and beyond. So there was the eugenics program. Uh, and also there was the Roe versus Wade decision, which now we we know who was targeted uh, based on their words and their actions, because 80% of those facilities were in minority communities. Like, if you love it so much, right. put it in your community. Why ain't there none in Bel Air? <laughs> you know? Hmm. Why ain't none in Carmel? Are there a few in the Hamptons? No, they're in Patterson and Newark. <laughs> you know, that's where they're at. Exactly. So, Right. I remember reading one time, it was a New York Times, I believe, or one of these newspapers out of New York. They said, I think it was 2012 or 14, somewhere around that time. They said, for the first time ever, 
more black children were aborted in that state than were born in that state. Wow. Than were born. Yeah, so, you know, this is impactful. Uh, it's, it's hugely impactful. And again, it's not about my opinions. I'm just telling you what the facts are. You ain't got to like it. It's the truth. And the truth hurts, so I'm here to bring the pain. <laughs> so, so Max, right, uh, yeah, just as a reminder, uh, anyone listening and you want to join the conversation, please give us a call of uh, 515-605-9814. Remember to press 1 on your dial so we know that you want to add a comment or question and just overall join into the conversation. Right. Uh, we could take about one more call, and then we got to get into the next track, or we could cover one more story. So uh, we don't have anybody on the line. Uh, did you have a story that you wanted to cover this evening before we uh, – got to our final segments and stuff it's it's mostly rehashing everything that we had well there was the one story it's kind of like off topic you know but not really when we really uh look at it and it was about the alabama prisons or the alabama department of corrections wanting to take money that was uh allotted mm-hmm. for covid you know, COVID health care for those incarcerated in Alabama uh, state prisons. And the state turned around and said, you know what, we want to use this money to build more prisons. You know, COVID be damned, basically. You know, if they get COVID, just let them die. So that that really stuck out for me during the week, just coming across that article. Alabama talking about let's use the COVID money we got from the feds to build more prisons. Now, you know why they're saying that is because they can't get no money to build these prisons. They want they couldn't to get that eight hundred billion dollars. Yeah, what was it? Eight hundred billion or eight, no, two, two eight hundred million? It was it ended up right, being two billion dollars to build these couple new prisons, and they can't get the loan from nobody. Even a student organization out in Alabama was causing wrecking havoc on that and got the bankers to, you know, refuse them. And already these for-profit private prisons are being, you know, uh, nobody's really making any loans to them, none of the major banks. So nobody's giving Alabama $2 billion. And because of that, they're like, yo, let's use that COVID money that we got. We can let the people die. Don't worry about the COVID. The COVID is not real anyway. Matter of fact, run around with your mask off here in Alabama. <laughs> and we'll right. take the $2 billion and build prisons. And why? Because that's their exactly. money. That's how they make money. It's an economic development program. It'll provide another 1,500 jobs, as we have described on this program before. You know, the, department, the Alabama Department of Corrections Commissioner, Jeff Dunn, literally sent a letter to the U.S. Treasury Department asking if the state could use COVID-19 relief funds to build new prisons. And you know, the article that I have on it, it says, in a state with the worst vaccination rate in the country where rural hospitals are closing like blockbuster stores and tens of thousands of Alabamians lack basic sewer services, we're trying to use COVID recovery funds to incarcerate people, mm. not create programs that move people out of prisons, not provide more resources to underserved communities to squeeze to uh, squeeze shut the school to prison pipeline. Nope. Build bigger prisons. 
Bill Moore that was the, yeah. uh, the commissioner's idea. And then it says, as hard as it is to believe, that's not even the worst part. Dunn's reasoning was essentially we lock up a lot of black and brown people, and because we're so thoroughly neglected our prisons over the past 50 years and routinely overcrowd them, those quote-unquote disproportionately impacted people are being hurt by the atrocious living conditions that make viral uh, spread much easier. He wrote this down and mailed it to the Treasury Department. You know, I want to post this article. It's a good article, and he just this is uh, uh, an opinion written by someone by the name of Josh Moon. So I encourage, as always, encourage everyone to read everything that they hear on the show, all of the articles. We post everything on our Abolition Today YouTube page. For those who haven't subscribed to that page, definitely subscribe to our Facebook page, Abolition Today, as well as as well as our YouTube page. You know, yes. that's just that's just amazing, Max. You know, I was talking to you earlier and telling you how here at Abolition, we've been doing Abolition Today. This is like my hundred and fourth production. So that includes the 28 episodes of Live from the Plantation. We haven't reached our 100th episode here. But I was doing this for almost eight years with New Abolitionist Radio, the same thing. So, you know, that's like nine years, every single week, breaking this thing down in every way you can imagine. And let me tell you, the waves that we've collectively caused because of that, has cost the for-profit private prisons $15 billion. We've seen some of the largest, if not the largest, prison slavery work strikes in the history of this state occur. Uh, We have seen uh, a a reorganizing of uh, agendas behind what we're doing, and we've changed constitutions across the nation with more to come. This is the type of thing that gets people in a lot of trouble. And you can call it good trouble, but, you know, tell me that at my funeral, <laughs> that it was good trouble. So, you know, I always keep those things in, in mind because what we're doing right now is we are putting our lives on the line. But we're doing it for the sake of freedom for our people. And I say all of that because it's kind of a lead into the to the track I want to play next. Uh, as you know, we've been working with Dr. Joy James. Um here at Abolition Today, as well as with the ASNN, in order to build a curriculum. And she uh, happened to mention me uh, a couple weeks ago, one of her programs that she was doing. And I want to let you hear one of our tracks from the Maximum Impact Poetry Endgame, My Life is on the Line, right after that. All right, Yusuf, so um, with that, let's go ahead and play that track, and then we'll come back and wrap it up at the end. You're listening to Abolition Today with... Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan will be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. The police come from slave catchers. That is the historical origin of policing in the United States. And so as the abolition of slavery national network, Matt Parthas stated it in an accountability summit we had on June 12th, why don't you just call policing what it is? It's slave catching. And and who will they harm or kill? Not just the the runaways, 
but the abolitionists as well. This is how John Brown dies the way he dies. 40 days, 40 nights, biblical, right? And then they hang him. But you also know that there were black men struggling with John Brown. John Brown's body is shipped back for burial, I believe, in New York. But the black men who are fighting with him, right, they're lynched, shot up in the streets, they're carved up for souvenirs, or bodies are donated to um, hospitals for medical experimentation. It is not just the survival of our resistance. It is grappling with the anti-black violence, which is the catalyst for predatory violence in the United States. They ask me why I write See, I write like my life is on the line, and I gotta write, I have to write, because these lines are my life. My name is Max. I come from Columbia, South Carolina, by way of Northern New Jerusalem. Usually my reputation precedes me, and most of the bullshit you heard about me already is all probably true. I do represent the New World Order. I am prismatic and proud. I do slam with more than one phoenix tongue, and I whisper do shout out loud. Dub that. You heard me at sessions and showcases with the best of the best. Lake Murray's where I rest, and no, I don't wear a big poetry S on my chest. I'm a pro-life, son of light, civil rights activist, a preacher that practices subversive ministry tactics through one mic entertainment. I use social viral marketing to embed in your head that this form of militant music is really edutainment. Fuck it, I won't be the first to claim it. I'm a poetic problem child, a civil nuisance, and a pain. I rarely play, I often pray, and me and my peeps have been known to say, fuck them if they can't hang. I've worked too hard, lost too much to ever give a fuck about what people might think. I'm ready and I'm edgy and I stay on the brink. I'm one of those cats like Jelani who you might call a hyperlink. I roll with Columbia's gold. I'm sustained by tribal rain. They call me Maximus Parthus and it's all in the name. I talk too much. I do too much. I know too much. I risk too much. I know too damn many people and I've loved even more. They say angels like to knock and I I just won't stop opening up all locked doors. I've seen dreams come true, trees bear fruit, and destiny definitively decided. I've seen tragedy, savagery, tear towers down while I stood there knowing I could never really write it. But I gotta write. I have to write because these lines are my life. It's why I trade my ink for blood and I do what I do for the love of God and treasures that are measured only in heaven's work. I speak like I sneaked a peak of late next week and expect to see hell scattered all over the earth. I can never rewrite some of the wrongs I've done or re-record the sum of the songs I've sung or recreate what fate has made me become. But before it's all done, I can hope for peace and at least to be one day forgiven to find at the end of my lifeline that my life's line were my reason for living To hear him say, son, well done And that he always knew me To understand that the son of man's hands Worked a piece of God's grand plan directly through me I am not into worldly possessions Money is not my answer, my intention, or my question Indeed, I've given everything I own away at least twice Fucked up a whole lot more than just one poet's life And I don't need to leave I'd much rather serve But in this world, all we have are our balls and our words So I write like my life is on the line And I gotta write, I have to write Because these lines, these lines are my life 
Abolition. You just heard Police of Slave Catchers by Dr. Joy James, followed by Max Parthas, My Life is on the Line. Very powerful words there, Max. Uh, you don't talk too much. You don't act like you know too much. But you do know that your life is on the line. And you do know and you do call it slavery by its name. Yeah, man. Just, you know, a little thing like that, uh, putting a couple words into the English lexicon to be used can have so many ripple effects. Uh, but the truth is the truth, as we've been saying throughout this program. You know, it is slavery. So why not call it slavery? To call it something else is counterproductive and propaganda. If you know the source of a problem, why would you want to focus on the symptoms instead? Absolutely. And we thank Dr. Joy again for just breaking down the history. I mean, that everyone. For Sorry. her uh, video, her video on Ellen, Ellen Baker. John Brown and Rebuilding Maroonage is available on our page. Yeah, I feel we, some kind we, of way to get mentioned in the same breath with John Brown, man. Like, wow. Right, exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, Dr. Joe, I can't wait till we have her on again. That was such a powerful episode that we had. You know, right. and uh, for any, I see some new callers any of you have called in and wanted to join the conversation, just remember to press 1 on the dial. Our time is short, but we do have time for one more caller if someone wanted to make a comment or had a question. Talking to you, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Come on, Sean. Come on. There he is. (laughs) We called him out. Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Uh, Sean, you're on with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, Abolition Today. What's going on, brother? I was just uh, looking up, like you said, you're Googling, because um, of the whole Mafia 21 um, documentary, which I need to rewatch. But that was um, got me thinking. Like, that was um, the term Mafia I was looking up, but originated in 1988, um, which is the mm-hmm. same year that Reagan signed the mm-hmm. Like convention against genocide, so a lot of this stuff is just—it's um, it's interesting. The timing is very interesting, and what Biden's doing now, you know, calling other nations, which he's done, you know, for a long time, like without <laughs> accusing his own nation of, of these crimes, is very interesting. I was going to do maybe a little pushback though on that film because it seems um, the author um, or the producer um, is from, I believe, Texas, born in 1948. Another coincidence, but. Um, and I see what you guys are saying, um, but also he doesn't seem to be as much of an ally as I consider with what's going on in Texas. Why is he, if, he, if he's truly against a black genocide, why is he speaking out against you know stuff in his home his home state? Which um, which uh, can, can you can you reference what you were speaking the, on? Um, I think Mark Kushner or something like his name. I the guy that did. My uh, question, or the Mafia 21. Like, to me, oh, okay. that's kind of where I, I got the Mafia thing. Like, to me, mm-hmm. it seems like he's exploiting something. The same way Trump exploited, you know, white enslavement and white genocide. Like, I can see what you guys are saying about, um, you know, abortion clinics targeting black communities. But I think in this particular case, 
I think he's exploiting something and he knows he is, um, especially where he's from and um, he's not speaking out against these things the same way you're speaking out against them. So I just want to put that out there that um, don't respect Well, we know they could have um, just hired him as a voiceover. Mm-hmm. No, he's he's like he's the director of Life Dynamics. Like he's not just one film he did. Like he's uh-huh. so just to be a little push yeah, back against that. Yeah, but everything yeah. everything else, I think you're, he, what you're saying is absolutely true. Right. We was just you know it, it's not something that you can cover in two hours as we said, but in what little time mm-hmm. we had, we focused on specific groups and showed how it has happened and is happening mm-hmm. and will continue mm-hmm. to happen until we do something to change it. Even to the point where right. now we're just sterilizing women in ICE facilities, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and not to mention the incarceration rates prevent births. The other thing I was going to mention is I probably should have called it earlier, but um, one thing that you don't usually hear with definitions of genocide is like how class based they are, you know, and how the industrialists support them, you know. So it's you know, you know, like the Rockefellers, you know, and you know. Um, so you really don't a lot of definitions don't include class based. So they it's their society they want. They want they want they want to get rid of these people. It's not just, you know, it's usually target against progressives or their pseudoscience or this or that. Like if you look at the history, the actual history, you know, they're the industrialists, you know, like they're um they're targeting anti revolution they're making revolutions seem like it's genocide, but they're making these false equivalences between like genocide and revolution and I guess we've probably talked about this for a long time, but yeah, you usually don't. From from my from my research, you really usually don't hear the class base, you know, the science, you know, the fault, the kind of like the rehabilitation of science. That's fault science. Well, you know, these scientists had, you know, I don't know. You can go on and on and on about science and money and class based societies, but um, just want to put that out there as something, you know, that should be included in any definition of genocide. It's like class system that it's trying to create not just like the racial caste system and the slavery system and mm-hmm. that makes sense. <laughs> I remember uh matter of fact I ain't gotta remember it. I can quote it, right? Because I got it up in front of me now. The speech that we played a couple weeks ago which Tag read where Frederick Douglass addressed the thirteenth Amendment and the dissolution of the anti slavery society. And he said, mm-hmm. but let the simple power of the South be restored and the old prejudice and hostility of the Negro will revive. A, the very fact that the Negro has been used to defeat this rebellion and strike down the standards of the Confederacy will be a stimulus to all of their hatred, to all their malice, and lead them to legislate with greater stringency toward this class than ever before. And every time we make some advancements, this is what we see as our reply. Right. Legislate against us with more stringency than ever before. So Mm -hmm. after the rebellions of the 60s, here comes Roe versus Wade. Uh, Here comes Mm -hmm. the war on drugs. After the rebellions Mm -hmm. of the 80s. And COINTELPRO. And COINTELPRO. Every time we try to take a step forward and fight back against the oppression, they legislate with greater stringency than ever before. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So zero six three six also raised their hand. Max, out. if we can, all right, let's maybe bring them in real a quick. lot. We've got about a three minute. minutes. Yeah, yeah, we got about. Oh six three six, you're on with us. I was just quoting you. Oh yeah, that's tag. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I just heard that. Uh, shout, shout to you for, for pointing toward that speech. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'll keep it, I'll keep it real frosty. I, I really wanted to, to call in, you know, not only, you know, of course, to commend, you know, what y'all are doing as usual, but um, I did want to raise an issue with uh, our comrade on the inside, uh, Kevin Rashid Johnson, who uh, once again is, is facing uh, severe uh, repression, um, as has just become all too normative uh, for, for that brother, for, for the, you know, strong work that he's been doing organizing on the inside. So there's a, a phone zap and email zap uh, for him that, that I'm happy to share the details about uh, if, if I have a second to do so. Um, we got like Absolutely. one minute, and then we got to do yeah. our shout out. So go ahead. No, no, no question. One minute. So um, the call is to call either the director of the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction or the Correctional Rece- Reception Center, and um, those numbers are as follows: six one four three eight seven zero five eight eight. That's Annette Chambers-Smith, who's the director of the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction. And then 614-877-2441 is the Correctional Reception Center. And, and I'll make sure to, um, to post that on, on the page, uh, the, the phone zap um, graphics. Uh, awesome. So, you know, they're, big, you know they're, they're keeping him from his property and, and his legal material and you know, the, just the usual nonsense that these slavers be doing. Um, but, you know, greatly appreciate all the work. Uh, uh, your girl, Ayn Rand, was sounding a lot like um, Hillary, Hillary Clinton to me. Uh, with, with, <laughs> that's who I thought it was at first. And speaking of, speaking of you know, this, this question of, of punishment, what you were quoting from Frederick Douglass, I'm just very much reminded of what's going on in Haiti right now and what's been going on since, since those sisters uh, brothers, comrades, you know, just took it upon themselves to to overthrow these slavers, and and they're still paying for it to this day. Right, exactly. All right, well, that got to wrap it up for us, man. It's been a hell of a day. Uh, we took on an incredible topic, and I think we did the best that we could uh, in a very powerful way of, of bridging gaps and bringing it all together. I want to thank everybody who came in to listen tonight, as well as those who called in, and for our international uh, listener, international listeners. Participate in that vote phone zap. I think they'll be amazed to see people calling from different parts of the country in support. Absolutely. Uh, that, uh, we'll see you next week. For our, the title of the program is King Cot, and you are going to love this one. So look forward to us next week on the 20, what is it, the 1st, right? August, the 1st. August 1st. Yes. Uh, the first next day Sunday of is August 1st. Uh, we'll be back with King Cot. Yusuf? So we want to uh, thank our sponsors, as always. We're going to breeze through it. Uh, Jailhouse Lawyer Speaks, uh, I Am We, Ubuntu Prison Ad- Advocacy Network, Sama Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Black Talk Radio Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash abolition today, for all the news, information, and music you hear on the program. We're also, Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms and simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. And remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us and also go to endtheexception.com. In tonight's Bridging the Gap segment, 
we have John Brown's last speech. It's going to be performed by David Strathane, accompanied by Marilyn Manson, Killing Strangers. So we'll be back on Sunday, August 1st, inshallah, God willing, with another master class on slavery abolition. So until next week, think about abolition today. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. On October 16, 1859, John Brown and nearly two dozen slaves seized the armory at Harper's Ferry in West Virginia, hoping to use its massive arsenal in the struggle to end slavery. Captured and brought to trial at nearby Charleston, Brown was found guilty of treason. One month before his execution, he addressed a courtroom in Charleston, West Virginia. I have, may it please the court, a few words to say. In the first place, I deny everything but what I have all along admitted, the design on my part to free the slaves. I intended certainly to have made a clear thing of that matter as I did last winter when I went into Missouri and there took slaves without the snapping of a gun on either side, moved them through the country, and finally left them in Canada. I designed to have done that same thing again on a larger scale. That was all I intended. I never intended murder, or treason, or destruction of property, or to excite or incite the slaves to rebellion, or make insurrection. I have another objection, and that is, it is unjust that I should suffer such a penalty. Had I interfered in the manner which I admit, and which I admit has been fairly proved, had I so interfered in behalf of the rich, the powerful, the intelligent, the so-called great, or in behalf of any of their friends, either father, mother, brother, sister, wife, or children, or any of that class, and suffered and sacrificed what I have in this interference, it would have been all right. And every man in this courtroom would have deemed it an act worthy of reward rather than punishment. Now, this court acknowledges, I suppose, the validity of the law of God. I see a book kissed here, which I suppose to be the Bible, or at least the New Testament. <laughs> that teaches me that whatsoever I would that men should do to me, I should do even so to them. And it teaches me further to remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. I endeavored to act up to that instruction. Now, I say I am yet too young to understand that God is any respecter of persons. I believe that to have interfered as I have done as I have always freely admitted I have done in behalf of his despised poor 
was not wrong, but right. Now, if it is deemed that I if it is deemed necessary that I should forfeit my life for the furtherance of the ends of justice and mingle my blood with the blood of my children and with the blood of millions in this slave country whose rights are disregarded by wicked, cruel, and unjust enactments, I submit, so let it be done.
Abolition. 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 Abolition.